Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas, the live music capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, so can individuals who are between the age of 18 to 20, that is 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, get a license to carry handgun in the state of Texas? You're going to be shocked and surprised. We're going to break this down to you. The answer is yes. Uh, The state of Texas, the Texas Department of Public Safety, they are issuing licenses, a license to carry handgun to individuals that are 18, 19, and 20 years old. They'll be able to conceal carry handgun in Texas. They can't carry in the public under Texas constitutional carry law, but with a license they can. But it comes with some other caveats to that. We're going to tell you about that a little later. First, I want to talk about the brace band, the ATF brace band. Uh, we're going to you know, go to I'm going to bring in uh, into the conversation uh, Travis White. And Travis is an attorney, also president and CEO of FRAC. Um, and that is an organization that has gotten together and formed to to do quite a bit. And they've actually filed a lawsuit against the federal government. For this brace band, you know, we've been talking about the brace band. We've talked about the bump stock band. We've talked about all this stuff. Well, guess what? Now we we finally have a strong lawsuit against the federal government. Some people have gotten out the gate there. You know, as soon as the band went into effect on January 31st, some people filed a lawsuit. You know what? Anyone can write. Anyone can file a lawsuit. But is it a good suit? Is the person that filed this suit? Is this something that, you know, you can expect to see it in front of the U.S. Supreme Court? That is important. Not every case is going to make it to the Supreme Court. They only hear very small percentages of cases in that court. So we need someone, an experienced attorney. We need someone who's going to write a great lawsuit that's really in-depth detail. It's going to, it's going to, you know, we want the Supreme Court just salivate and just, you know, feel the juices of this lawsuit and say, you know what, this is something we've been waiting for. So that way they can hear this case. And I believe this is the case right here, the one that Frack has brought forward and filed this pre uh, this past week. So let me bring it to the conversation, Travis White. Travis, welcome to come and talk it, sir. Oh, pardon, I had to unmute that. Thank you so much for having me on, Mike. I appreciate uh, 
appreciate you taking the time to sit down and talk with me about this. Absolutely. So, Travis, tell me something about your organization. How did you guys form it? And how did you get to the point where you filed a lawsuit against the federal government? Sure. So, FRAC is a 501c6. So, we're a trade organization, nonprofit. And we, I like to think of it uh, or, or tell people that we, advocate for the industry. We are not a civil rights organization. We are an industry organization that obviously has Second Amendment civil rights implications with that. So, you know, this this organization was formed in late 2020. The industry saw the writing on the wall with a number of things, with some of the changing landscape, and then obviously ATF's extended track record with flip-flopping and um, basically abusing the regulatory authority. So the industry, some, some key stakeholders in the industry came together and put together a trade organization that would have the specific focus of accountability in the ATF sector. And then they got a hold of, they reached out to me. I was practicing law as a local prosecutor in rural Southern Idaho at the time and uh, offered me the position and I took it. So um, we focus on a plethora of, of issues. Obviously the hot one right now is that we're here to talk about is, is the brace ban, the litigation we filed in conjunction with uh, two of our member companies, uh, Mr. Rick Cicero, and then 25 states. Uh, we've also filed back in January, we filed litigation with Franklin Armory as co-plaintiff against the ATF for some abuses there. We've introduced, uh, this is now the second time we've introduced the ATF Accountability Act. We had one in the previous Congress and it has since been reintroduced this year by uh, Dan Crenshaw and a bipartisan group of representatives. So I'm, I'm happy to talk on these various things, but that's just Few of the things we've been doing in a nutshell. Yeah, and I like I like this lawsuit. I was reading uh, uh, the the brief there, and I, I like the fact that you know West Virginia came out, North Dakota, Alabama, Alaska, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Idaho, Indiana, Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, Utah, Virginia, and Wyoming came out and said, you know what, we're going to join you guys and we're going to file this, you know, join this suit against the federal government. That's right. I mean, this is, you know, and I, I wish all these other groups that have filed on this, I absolutely wish them well. Uh, and I hope that everyone wins. There's no, uh, there's no competition, so to speak. Uh, but I think our case can adequately be stated as the as the hammer. Now, your case is not in the Fifth Circuit. It's not in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi. What circuit is your case filed in? Sure. We filed on, on FRAC's home turf. Um, we filed here in the Eighth Circuit, the Western Division, the District of North Dakota, where I'm sitting right now in my office. Nice. Okay. And so how does how would the Cargill v. Garland case affect you guys ensuring a different circuit? Sure. So Cargill, you know, that's that's really a monumental case. Um, OK, so to answer your question directly. It's not it's not binding precedent. It's persuasive. Uh, that being said, it it is a a watershed case in many ways insofar as the courts look directly at the ATF's actions and they say no. You're not you're not Congress. You don't get to make law. And we're not just going to give you some sort of blanket deference to what whatever you say the law is. The, the law is for the courts to decide. So, you know, we, we did file in on uh, your case down there as, as amicus carry with with a few of our member companies when that was pending and bonk review. Um, and that was a big moment. That was a big moment for for the legal for, for the legal minds in the in the community here that um, in, the, in the firearms community to see your uh, your case ruled on.
All right. Court. And we come back from the break, Travis. I want you to tell them, you know, how does this work? You know, so you filed in a different a different area of the country. And if you guys are granted a stay or an injunction or something like of, of that effect, how would that affect us here in Texas? You know, with you know, what if someone, you know, someone files in Texas and we get a stay and injunction? You know, how would that affect you guys in your area of the country? I want to explain to people how this stuff works, you know, because it's important that we break this stuff down. Uh, it's important that we get the Cargill v. Garland case to the Supreme Court, because once it gets to the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court accepts the case, here's the case, then that can affect, you know, the entire country as far as case law. And how is that all going to play into these cases that are going against the federal government for the bump stock ban? We come back from the break. We're talking with Travis White. He, uh, he's with FRAC. He's the president and CEO. We're also going to talk about Texas, 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 18 and 19 and 20. They can't buy a gun from a gun store, but they can get a license and carry a handgun. We're going to talk about that and more. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back to Come and Talkin'. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, we're back and we're talking with Travis. He's with an organization called Frack, and we're talking about the brace band, the ATF brace band. You know that band that went into effect on January 31st? You know, if you owned one on January the 30th, you're good to go. It was legal. Even gun stores can transfer it to you in the 4473. But once January 31st rolled around, ah, not so easy. Now, if you have one of those, uh, we can't even accept them in the gun store unless they're on some type of form. <laughs> so you got to go through the NFA process now. So things have changed. It's now part of the NFA, uh, it's, you know, we got to treat it like a machine gun or a suppressor now, just in a matter of one day. So in one day, you went from it's legal to now it's illegal. You could be charged with a felony. So Travis, you know, tell us, you know, how's this stuff work with the, uh, you know, the different cases uh, the ones that are filed in Texas, the one that you filed, has, how does your case affect us in Texas, and how does Texas affect you guys? Sure. So complicated answer here. I'll try to break this down. Um, in terms of the ATF's rule here, they promulgated a, a rule through the Administrative Procedures Act, and they published it in the Federal Register. It's nation, nationwide. So the intent of the lawsuit the, the overall intent is to get that rule set aside. Okay. So that's, you call that the, the ultimate like relief that we're seeking. Um, so the, 
the courts, you know, the courts can tailor certain types of relief only to the parties before them. However, when you speak on APA rules like the ATF one here that we're disputing in court, the remedy ultimately is that the rule is either good or it's bad. And we're obviously arguing that it is it is an illegal rule and the rule itself must be set aside. So if the rule is set aside, then it's set aside. Doesn't matter if you're on the lawsuit, not on the lawsuit. If you live in a different state, if you live in a different uh, circuit, if the rule is set aside, it is set aside. Got it. Okay. And then now let's go into the details of the case because uh, I love the way this case is written up. Sure. So you can get into those details there for me. Okay. Yeah. So, so first off, um, you know, for those that are listening, maybe you're not at a computer right now, but when you get a chance to get home, jump on fracaction.org, go to our litigation tab. Uh, then we have both of our, our current cases. You can click on whichever one, but um, for the brace one, you click on that one. Then we have all the docket items we post there for the public. Uh, you know, I understand these are public record and, you know, Pacer and all that. You have to have a, a private account to get onto, but we've got them all posted up there so you can, you can see everything we're going to be talking about. Now in here, I'm just going to go briefly through the, the claims of relief. The first claim we've got for relief is that the rule is ultra vires. In other words, the ATF doesn't have authority to make rules like this. It exceeds their statutory authority. The second claim we've got is that it's arbitrary and capricious. All right. So that means it's it's not logical, basically, is a simple, simple way to put that. The third claim for relief is that the adjudications they made pursuant to this rule are ultra vires as well, meaning the, the ATF lacked authority, legal authority as an agency to do what they've done. Fourth claim for relief, the uh, adjudications under the rule are arbitrary and capricious. Again, not logical, sort of detached from, from logic. And the fifth claim we've got is that the rule and adjudications are unconstitutionally vague. Okay, so yeah. they there's there's some vagueness doctrines that go with the Constitution that agencies, the government has to meet when they enforce the law. People have to be adequately apprised what the law is and be able to understand it. And if they can't, you can't be criminalizing people for laws that they don't understand because they're so vague. Mm, okay. And so the funny thing about all this, and you know, looking at the first page of the complaint, uh, well, the second page, and it says, for more than a decade, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives authorized the public to use pistol stabilizing braces, a popular firearms accessory, without federal regulation. During that time, ATF repeatedly issued letter rulings assuring manufacturers and the public that attaching a stabilizing brace would not alter the statutory or regulatory classification of a pistol or other firearm. As a result, millions of Americans for, have for years lawfully purchased stabilizing braces and pistols equipped with stabilizing braces from authorized legitimate manufacturers with ATS full knowledge and express approval. And then everything changed. Frustrated with congressional inaction, the president of the United States ordered ATF to abandon a decade of practice under an established statutory framework and to treat pistols modified with a stabilizing brace or braces as subject to the National Firearms Act. And that is insane because now you're talking and no one really knows the number. I've heard 10 million. I've heard as high as 40 million that are, you know, that are uh, braces that are out there. And no one really knows that number. 
And so to ban something, to say that, you know, well, it's not really a ban, but to say we have to put it in the on, on the NFA, uh, apply to the NFA, the National Farms Act, and get a tax stamp, get it registered. If you have one attached to an a pistol is just insane because, like you said, not a whole, not that many people, not everyone knows this. You know, because I actually do lights to carry handgun courses every single week, twice a week. And I stand in front of the class and I said, did you know there's an a, there's a, a, an AR-15 pistol brace ban? There's a pistol brace ban in the country. And the majority of people say, no, they didn't know. And I've had people in every single class say they have one and they had no idea that it was actually, you know, part of the NFA list. They have to get them registered now if they have a, a pistol with a brace on it. They didn't know. And so That's right. if someone gets pulled over on the side of the road, gets stopped by police and they have one of these things because they're on their way to the gun range or from the gun range, get stopped by law enforcement, they will never know. They didn't know that it was now banned because at the time they legally purchased it. That's and right. So that's one of the most draconian aspects of this whole thing is that there is no true grandfather clause in here. Now, the ATF is purporting to waive the initial tax payment for people that are going to register them under this 60 day grace period thing. But that's not a that's not a true grandfather period. In other words, if someone has one of these, the ATF is saying you have 60 days to take action. And if you don't. You know, you're committing a crime. No action is a crime under this rule. Right. So so if somebody has one of these and they uh, a pistol with a brace on it, when this rule went into effect and they leave it in their closet, don't even touch it. Take no action. Don't maybe they don't even know that this rule has has uh, been published. They would be committing a crime after according to the ATF. I want to be clear about that. According to the ATF, people will be committing a crime after this period expires. Right. So what after May 31st, then they're committing the crime. That's right. Six, yeah. So after the, there's the 120 day thing, but they said that in about 60 days out, they're going to start looking at hammering people. So, and, and there's so many ways, after. there's so many ways they can find out that you have one. I've, I've told people about the multiple sale transaction, you know, because if you're in a state that borders another country, because you, you assume that, well, you know, the government, they don't know what guns I have. Yeah, I may have bought one in the gun store, but they don't know because, you know, the gun store is not giving them the information about that particular firearm. That that record is staying in the gun store and the gun store is just a database for law enforcement. And they're not going to get that record unless the gun is stolen and used in a crime. Well, not true, because if you walked into a gun store and you did a multiple sale, a multiple sale transaction where you purchased, where you went to a state, you purchase a gun in a state from a gun store in a state that borders Mexico or borders Canada or Florida because they're too close to Cuba, uh, then that gun store has to do a multiple sale form. If you purchase two handguns or more in a five-day period or two rifles or shotguns more in a five-day period, they're, they're filling out a form where you are reported to the, to the FBI and to the chief law enforcement officer in the county where you live in. So if you did this, you know, and it's on a multiple sale form, they know what you have. You know, one one of the other to kind of go along with what you're talking here with the multiple handgun sale uh, notification stuff, you know, one of the other really draconian aspects of this rule and something important for people to understand is the ATF is giving a grace period here for people to register them uh, braced handguns without paying the tax. But they are saying that as of the day this rule published in the Federal Register, these are now SBRs in the eyes of the ATF. So there's some other there's some other secondary things to be mindful of with that. 
for instance, yeah, you may have 60 days to get in your registration paperwork and, and get that, that free tax stamp registration of this, you know, these, these purported SBRs, but like any other SBR, you can't cross state lines with it without getting an approved form 20 in advance from the ATF. Right. So there's a number of people out there that probably look at, you know, a braced handgun is like a good truck gun or something like that. I think that's the common term I hear, like kind of a little handy gun to keep in the truck or something, you know, be that as it may, all of a sudden, uh, now that there's rules out there, that's an SBR. Yeah, you might have 60 days to get that registered, but if you cross state lines with that without having an approved Form 20 authorizing from the ATF, authorizing you to cross state lines with that SBR, yeah. potentially that's a problem. I mean, and, that's... A, and, God, and God forbid you do it in a state like New Jersey and New York, a state that where a pistol, you, you can have it, it's legal, but then once you once it's, it's classified as an SBR, then you can't have it in that state. Man, whoo, God forbid you do it in one of those states. Because now, now that it's in the NFA, it's part of the NFA, it's an SBR, short barrel rifle. Guess what? Some states you can't have SBRs. Right, so you're in big trouble right. and you never even knew it. We're talking with right. we're talking with Frack, Travis White. He's he's the uh, CEO of Frack, which is frackaction.org. That is Firearms Regulatory Accountability Coalition. We're talking about the brace ban, the ATF brace ban. We're going to talk about Texas likes to carry handgun. Also, 18, 19, and 20 years old can get a license to carry handgun. And guess what? If you get your LTC at 18, 19, and 20, you can participate in the campus carry and carry on the college campus. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hi, this is Stephen Wolfer, the Barefoot Defender. I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right, so we're talking about the ATF brace ban. Uh, we're talking with FrackAction.org, Firearms Regulatory Accountability Coalition, better known as FRAC. We're talking about going against the man. We're talking about coming together. We're talking 25 states in the United States have joined together along with an organization and some individuals and said, you know what? We're going to file laws against the federal government and protect the anywhere from 10 to 40 million braces that are out there. There are 10 to 40 million braces out there right now. No one really knows the number, but you know what? You, you just can't take something that people legally purchase and the ATF assured everyone for years, decades, that these were legal. 
all of a sudden, new president steps in the office and says, you know what? I changed my mind. Let's go ahead and ban these things. Come on, man. That is insane. Can't do that. So they're, they've gotten together with 25 different states. And I'm just wondering why, you know, I'm, I'm really upset because Texas didn't join this. 25 different states in the United States got together, you know, all around us, all around Texas, got together and, and filed this lawsuit. You know, and, and you know, our, our AG, I tell you, uh, I think he's just dropping the ball when it comes to this because there are, you know, and they filed their own lawsuit. They did file their own lawsuit with Gun Owners of America. But it would have been nice for them to put their name on this as well with the other 25 states. You know, I like to push it over. I don't, you know, we got 50 states out there. We need 26. We need more than half. It would be nice if more than half were, were on this lawsuit. You know, we're at the halfway mark. You know, I like to have a super I, like, I want to have a super majority when I'm going into court. I think that's the best way to do it. So they did file their own separate lawsuit. You know, I, and I'm not sure. The reason for doing that and not joining this one also, I do know that when I filed my lawsuit against the federal government, the Department of Justice, I called tobacco and firearms. I begged, begged, I called and begged the AG to assist me with the the lawsuit, Michael Cargill versus Garland. And they refused to assist me, told me, no, they were going to do it. They were going to help me at all at this time. Just so you know, I want to put that out there. I begged them and asked them to do this. And that AG refused to do that. So just so you know, I want you to know who's working for you and who's working against you. Just so you know. And you tell them Michael Cargill told you so. Now, I want to talk with, man, Travis, this is awesome. You know, you guys are doing a wonderful job. I'm reading the, the complaint. I'm looking at the, the motion for oral argument. I'm going through the different exhibits and stuff like that. Can you break some of this stuff down and tell us, you know, what is all this stuff in layman terms? Because you have exhibit A, exhibit A, 1-3, 2-3, 3-3, B-C-D-E-F-G-H-I-J-K-L-M-N-O-P. You know, you're, you're going all the way down the list here. What do we have? Sure. So I, I guess real quick, just a quick comment on the Texas situation. Um you know, there's something to be said for for a state wanting to make sure that uh, things are done, you know, correctly or, or to fight on their own their home turf. So there's a number of cases that are down there in the in the various districts in Texas. Um, so you know, not a knock on Texas for not jo joining our case. They're they're handling the cases that are down there in their their home turf. So, and again, I wish all those plaintiffs down there. I wish them well, and you know, certainly no. Uh, I wouldn't read anything bad out of the fact that they're not on our lawsuit. You, they really, really can't be on multiple lawsuits that are over the same thing. So they, they're fighting on their home turf down there and, and sort of guarding the castle. And I, I respect that. Right. Now, as far as our, um, our legal filings in this case, yeah, it was, it was, you know, there's a, a long list of exhibits as uh, for those that are going to our website and looking, we've, we've got them all up there. It's a, a lot of those are various letters uh, from years past with ATF and, and various stakeholders involved in, in the brace um, the brace back history, if you will. So you can download them off our website, look at them, and that'll it really paint the picture for you of, of the history here, right? Between looking through those exhibits and reading our complaint and, and stuff that's in the initial portions of our complaint that, that walks the court through the history of, of how we got to where we are today. You know, I think that would, that would really be an informative thing for the public out there. If you're wanting to get you know, the, the most accurate picture of, of where we are now and, and how we got here. I like the fact that Cargill's mentioned four times in this document too. It, it, and that tells you how important <laughs> your case was down there. I mean, it might, it might only be persuasive uh, precedent up here in the eighth circuit, 
but that doesn't mean it's not important. I mean, that was really a watershed moment, Mike. Right. All right. And then, um, so you have a, you have a lot of exhibits though. You have, so what are some of these exhibits? Yeah. Let me pull up some of them real quick so I can talk through them here. I mean, is there a particular one you want me to speak on or no, if you just go... give us a little, a little, you know, little cliff notes version of it. Yeah. Let me That's see fine. here. Um, so I'm in the wrong, I'm in the wrong case. Pull this bad boy back up. Yeah, we've got declarations from uh, myself, uh, Jeff Kramer, uh, the CEO of SB is Jeff, and then we've got um, Rick Cicero. He gave a, de a sworn declaration as to some some things as well. And on that note, I think I think this is a good thing to, to mention here, Mike. Uh, for those that are unfamiliar with with Mr. Rick Cicero, he is, in my opinion, um, you know, not only a good friend, but you know, he is the nation's foremost leader on what's what's come to be called adaptive shooting and it's it's really uh various shooting techniques for those that, that have handicaps and, and things of that nature uh, mobility issues etc and he's he's come up with a lot of comprehensive things and working with with people out there and he's really found um a, a tremendous amount of use in in the arm brace the stabilizing brace technology and that speaks to the history of how the brace was in, was invented first you know alex bosco happens to be the, the chairman of FRAC's board um, and a friend as well. But, you know, he's a fellow, we're both vets, you know, FRAC's a veteran run organization, combat veteran run organization. Um, but he he developed this technology to help people, specifically disabled veterans and, and other disabled folks out there. And, um, you know, so we we're privileged enough to have Mr. Rick Cicero joining us on the lawsuit uh, and coming at it from his perspective as as an instructor and and someone who who does have some of those mobility issues or whatnot. And for those people that don't know, uh, Richard Cicero is a retired police firearms instructor and a wounded warrior. Uh, Mr. Cicero lost an arm and a leg while serving his country in Afghanistan. And as a result, he has to use the stabilizing brace uh, to safely fire many weapons. And he has trained hundreds of physically challenged students, many of them also wounded combat veterans, to safely fire pistols with the help of stabilizing braces. Just so you know. Yep. Um, and then also, yeah, if there, if there's, go ahead. If there's a particular exhibit, man, I mean, a lot of this stuff, a lot. So the thing for the public to understand is that this is a very complex uh, legal case. We're talking about the Administrative Procedures Act is what we're suing under. Uh, so that so it's it's not a, you know, if, as you read through our case, it's not the sort of fireworks type case that you might expect, as as far as the law is concerned. Um, it's a very nitty gritty thing. Now we're we are fortunate enough to have the best legal minds that can be mustered on this case. We've got, uh, you know, a wonderful firm out of DC. We've got a wonderful firm here in Bismarck acting as our local counsel. I mean, truly, truly impressive work. And I say that as, as a fellow attorney, when I read, read through the quality of these briefs, it is truly impressive, like souvenir level. <laughs> so. And then um, you guys have um, the plaintiff, uh, the state of West Virginia, which is a sovereign state of the United States of America. West Virginia sues to vindicate his sovereign quasi-sovereign and pro proprietary interests, including its interest in protecting its citizens, businesses, employees, and public, you know, and the tax revenue. I love that. Um, you know, I, I wish that Texas would actually, you know, I wish this legislative session, while they're in session from now until May, uh, until Memorial Day, 
I wish that someone would actually sponsor a bill that would actually shield Texans um, when it comes to these things that are coming from an, an agency within that federal government because they can actually write up a bill that says, hey, we're not going to enforce, allow the government to enforce any rules, laws, regulations, whatever that are coming from a, a reg, uh, an, an agency within that federal government without the express consent of Congress, without having a, a bill passed by Congress. And so they can say they're not going to enforce those laws. They can say that so that way you can't use our police department. You can't use our sheriff. You can't use our jails. We're not going to assist you in any arrests at all. Uh, you're going to have to use your own resources, ATF or FBI. We're not even going to let you, you know, use our vehicles. You, you can't bring them to our jail. We're not going to, you know, none of that. Uh, the state of Texas can do that. We need to sponsor a bill so we can shield Texans. And, you know, we, we have the, the votes in the House. We have the votes in the Senate. We have the governor. We can actually make this happen. So we need our elected officials to stand up and shield Texans a little bit while these cases work their way up, you know, to the Supreme Court. You know, Mike, I think that's a that's a valid that's a valid point, especially on a practical level. You know, a state um, in the eyes of the, co the courts, as the law currently stands, a state cannot quote, nullify a federal law per se. However, there are very, you know, serious practical implications of states that that do the anti it's called the anti-commandeering doctrine of the 10th Amendment, the, the state's refusal to assist the federal government in enforcing federal law. They cannot, they cannot obstruct the enforcement of federal law, but they don't have to assist in the enforcement of federal law. Uh, an easy state for me that comes to mind is the state that I was uh, I formerly lived and worked in, which was Idaho, you know, they have a state level constitutional amendment that's that's in their constitution that that bans basically NFA type things. It's against against the state constitution. Then they have state statutes that that bar state officials from enforcing federal law in conjunction with the feds when it conflicts with state law. It does not say that they can obstruct them. No, they just don't help them. And it's a crime. I think the first, as I recall, the first offense was like an infraction. Second offense would be a misdemeanor if a state official was caught to have assisted a federal official um, in doing in, in enforcing federal law. And that, you know, those provisions are valid. I think under current case law, you know, the anti-commandeering doctrine. Some states, I mean, Idaho tried to go the other way and also um, include provisions to attempt to nullify uh, federal law. You know, those are good policy statements to really let you know put people on notice of how you feel about something, but the courts have not given those much credence. All right. So we're talking with Frack. Uh, we, you know, I go to Oklahoma sometimes in Oklahoma, they've stood up, you know, there are a lot of sheriffs in Oklahoma that says, you know, we're not going to enforce this one particular sheriff in Ottawa County. The sheriff says he will, he has instructed his deputies that if they locate a firearm with a stabilizing brace, doing an investigative contact with a citizen, they are not going to take any action at all. The sheriff Dean says, also, that his department will not enforce ruling because the ATF cannot make law and the only Congress can pass laws. And this ruling was not enacted by Congress. The sheriff says if a crime has occurred with a weapon that has a stabilizing brace that his county, his deputies will take the appropriate actions and file the appropriate charges that are in the Oklahoma statute book. That is a sheriff in Oklahoma. People, your sheriff is the most important person in your county. It goes your sheriff, 
Then it goes your district attorney. Those are the most important two people in your county. You might want to get off your butts and go vote. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Folks, this is Doug Man Jones. <laughs> and I get my gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk It. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. Fan litigation here. And, you know, I, I love the fact that 25 states in the United States have gotten together um, with frack and decide to file a lawsuit against the, the federal government. And Ken Paxton, the attorney general for Texas, uh, like I said before, they did do their own thing. They joined with Gun Owners of America, and I like Gun Owners of America, and they filed a lawsuit against the ATF for the brace ban. Uh, and here's a statement from Ken Paxton's office, and that says, Attorney General Ken Paxton, along with the coalition of other plaintiffs, is suing the Biden administration over its Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Farms explosive rule targeting pistol owners who use stabilizing braces. Attorney General uh, Paxton is partnering with Gunners of America in this lawsuit. For years, Americans have widely used stabilizing braces when exercising their Second Amendment rights for numerous purposes, with millions sold throughout the country. Braces can reduce recall, assist people with disabilities, prevent injury, and overall help individuals with uh, operate weapons more safely and accurately. The Biden administration is now targeting law-abiding Americans with burdensome registration requirements by defining a pistol with a stabilizing brace as a short-barrel rifle. This change in classification would require that individuals register their firearm ownership with the federal government or risk up to 10 years in prison if they fail to comply with the regulation. This infringement on Second Amendment rights is fundamentally unconstitutional, as well as unlawful for many other reasons. The new rule is arbitrary and capricious, with adopted in violation of the Administrative Procedure Act and the federal entity in instituting the rule ATF lacks the statutory authority to define handguns with stabilizing braces as short barrel rifles. Now, They've joined together with Gunners of America and filed their suit separate from the other 25 states. And I just said it would it really would be nice. You know, we all can just get together and pounce on the ATF together as one as one team. I would love to see that, you know, at least before I die. <laughs> all right. So I do want to talk about uh, talk with Travis about Frack and Franklin. You know, Travis, what is this Frack and Franklin case? Sure. So to kind of transition and kind of tie in, you know, these cases to the bigger picture, right? What is, what is Frack's ultimate goal? And, and, and what I tell people in simple terms is we just, we want accountability, transparency, and fairness from the ATF. That's ATF from the ATF, right? So when you look at the Brace case and some of the back history, you know, that all, that all first started when, when Mr. Bosco invented the Brace and then ultimately submitted 
that technology to the ATF for a letter classification, letter determination, uh, excuse me, classification determination letter, right? So the government tells you, the ATF tells you in advance, we see this, we've examined it, here's how it falls under the law. This law, that law, you know, whichever applies, neither apply, both apply. They classify in advance so that you can then bring something to market as the industry and not have some some question mark in your head if you're if you misjudge something and, and uh, you know you're committing a crime by doing it under one process but not the other right so mm-hmm. it's it's a critical thing to know you know is this an NFA item or is it GCA only or is this you know an exempt antique right that's what the classification process is right now the case we filed in conjunction with Franklin Armory is concerned with that process. So we're looking at the ATF and their gross abuse of that classification process as a whole. Does that does that make sense, Mike? Yes, sir. So, you know, Franklin had, you know, you can read by all means that the case and the public filings are on our website. I would invite members of the public to read through those documents, the, the complaint. But, um, you know, that that case is directly looking to hold ATF accountable for abuse of the letter, you know, the classification determination process. That's a critical thing for the industry. Okay. The industry relies. I mean, this is this is not an insignificant thing when the industry submits something for classification. Um, you know, this is this is a process that your everyday member of the public may not be um aware of, you know, how profound it is, may never heard of it before. Mm-hmm. But the industry, if we're gonna bring something to market, they have to know, you know, what are the rules that apply to this? GCA, NFA, neither, both, right? What what applies? And so when the ATF, when they unreasonably delay a response, when they refuse to respond, okay, or when they flip-flop in their response, or when they issue an arbitrary and capricious, basically a a nonsense response, okay, these are all profound things on the industry because they impact our ability to bring something to market and keep it at market, Mm. you know. So so a regulatory body refusing to answer – or unreasonably de- delaying an answer as to, to where your product, your new product falls under the, the legal framework, that, that basically can kill kill technology before it's born in some cases. Wow. It never gets to go to market. So it's a profound thing. All right. So what should people expect now? Um, because, you know, here we are. It's post January 31st. Uh, they have to start the paperwork process. And some people are wondering, you know, should I go ahead and start the process? Should I wait it out and see how these cases are going to go? And I'm not expecting you to give anyone legal advice here. You know, yeah. just, you know, just want to see what your thoughts are. Um, you know, uh, I, I have a brace. I, you know, should I start the paperwork? Uh, do I wait it out a little bit longer and, and see what's going to happen? Is there going to be an injunction? Um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. So, I mean, there's a number of cases we're going to, we're, you know, Frax is going to obviously be coming up for a preliminary injunction hearing here, probably within the next, I would say about the next month or so, depending on the briefing schedule. But um, yeah, I can't give people legal advice. My, I would say absolutely, you know, people have to make their own decision by all means, consult with your own private attorney, um, you know, to figure out what your options are in your state. You know, some, some people may live in a state where, where their options are are complicated because of state level rules on SBRs, for instance. Um, others that you know, such as here in North Dakota, um, we don't have you know a statewide ban per se uh, on SBRs. As long as you obey federal law, you're good with the state here. Not everybody's fortunate enough to have that. So 
you know, there's, there's those potentialities out there. So people need to consult their own attorney. Um, I want to be careful how I answer this, but I, I, I absolutely want to want to reiterate that this, this people need to approach this with a, with a calm head, a level head mm-hmm. and an even hand. We're going to get our day in court. The ATF is going to be held accountable in a court of law. That's where the accountability is going to come from. I certainly can't promise any results to the American people, but I will promise you we have the best legal minds we can get on this case. And, you know, we will give this every bit we've got. Right. And, and you and you're doing no one a favor uh, in no one out there is doing anyone a favor by getting charged or, you know, getting prosecuted, or convicted or anything like that. So it's best to, you know, go ahead and start the process, start the paperwork and let these cases do what they're going to do. And don't put yourself in jeopardy, because once you're charged, you know, you're going to it's going to be weighed on what was the law at the time that you did whatever you did. And, you know, unless you have 20 grand or more to fight a particular case, I would recommend you just go ahead and they're waiving the $200 fee. Let's go ahead and start, you know, go ahead and start the process and and just, you know, and as we get closer to May 31st, you know, you know what you'll have to do, you know, if, if we don't have an injunction by then. All right, Travis, uh, man, you got anything? You guys got yeah. anything else you want to say in closing? I do. And just real quick, I'll point out here, um, please go to frackaction.org. And if you're, if you're willing and able, please consider making a, a donation to us. We greatly appreciate that and need that to sustain our operations. There's a bill here, uh, HR 508. That's the bill number. Bipartisan. It was sponsored by Dan Crenshaw of Texas, co-sponsored, among others, by Henry Cuellar down of Texas as well. So it is a bipartisan bill. It's the ATF Accountability Act 2023. And we we drafted this. This is Frack's bill. It it looks to set up a process for the ATF to have sort of an administrative internal appeal on on the classification process. So by all means, check that out. You know, that's it's a good one. It's it's not uh, being spoken about too much. I want to get the word out on that. And then what's that bill number one more time? Yeah, HR five zero eight. You can find that on Congress.gov, and that's the current in the current session of Congress. Awesome. Man, thank you, Travis. And once again, your organization, the website, and, and what does it stand for? What does FRAC stand for? Uh, FRACAction.org is the website, and then the organization is the Firearms Regulatory Accountability Coalition. All right. Thank you, Travis. Appreciate you coming on and telling us about what's going on. And and we're holding for him. We're praying for you uh, and hope that this case, we get some relief you know, from the courts, from what's happening with our different regulatory you know, agencies out there. Thank you, Travis. Thank you so much, Mike. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. And same to you, sir. All right. So I do want to, you know, we come back from the break. I do want to talk about the Texas likes to carry handgun. And how is it even possible that someone who's 18, 19 and 20 years old, how can you get a license to carry handgun to carry a handgun, but you can't buy that handgun from a gun store? Why is it that 18, 19, 20-year-olds 20 20 in Texas can be security officers, work as private security, carry a gun, but they can't purchase the gun from a gun store, a handgun from a gun store? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about all this stuff, how laws are really weird and how things actually work. You know, what can 18, 19, 20-year-olds do on the Texas constitutional carry law? What about purchasing a gun? What about buying a rifle or shotgun at 18 from a gun store? Can you, are you going to automatically get delayed 
while they investigate you or with your license to carry handgun that you can now get as an 18, 19, 20 year old, you know, give you some relief. This is Michael Cargill and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Coley on Noir and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All right. So now I want to talk about the state of Texas. You know, a federal district court has ruled the department can no longer apply the license to carry statutory eligibility criteria that prohibit otherwise eligible 18 to 20 year olds from obtaining the license to carry handgun. So the lawsuit was the Firearms Policy Coalition uh, versus Stephen McGraw. And the department will therefore no longer deny applications solely on the basis that the applicants are 18 to 20 years old. So that means that all 18, 19, and 20 years old, as long as you're eligible, you can get a license to carry handgun and carry handgun in the state of Texas. Now, that's important because under the Texas constitutional carry law, you cannot carry a handgun in public at 18, 19, or 20 years old. You can't, you know, walk about, you know, go about your day and carry that handgun to Texas Constitutional Carry Law. But you can now get a license to carry handgun and carry your handgun concealed or openly with an LTC at 18, 19, 20 years old. So I recommend you go ahead and get a, and take the class, apply, get the license, you know, and guess what? Now, what else does that give you? That gives you at 18, 19, and 20 years old, you can now participate in the camp and campus carry. So if you're 18, 19, 20 years old and you can get your license to carry handgun, you can now conceal carry on a public college campus with your LTC once you get your license. Also, guess what else that does? Man, so when I walk into the gun store and I fill out the firearms transaction record and and I want to buy a rifle or shotgun. Last year, the federal government passed a law that said that pretty much you're automatically going to get delayed and investigated, you know, by the federal government at 18, 19 or 20 years old. And you're buying a rifle. Well, once you can get your license to carry handgun, you can bypass that. And you can get your rifle or shotgun with your LTC now that Texas is issuing them at 18, 19, 20 years old. Man, campus carry, purchasing a firearm. Wow, amazing. But here's what you cannot do. All right, so unfortunately at 18, 19, 20 years old, you cannot purchase a handgun from a federal firearms license dealer. So if you're 18, 19, and 20, and you want to get your LTC, your license carry handgun, and carry that handgun, you would have to get it as a private sale from a private individual or as a gift because you cannot 
buy it from a gun store because the gun stores, the federal firearms license dealers, are governed by the federal government. But you can buy a long gun, a rifle, a shotgun, but not a handgun from a gun store. So it makes sure we're clear on all that. Man, the doors are opening for 18 and 19, 20 years old thanks to the Firearms Policy Coalition lawsuit against the state of Texas. And the fact that Texas decided not to appeal this case to the Fifth Circuit. So, and you know, the, all they had to do was, it was very easy. It was simple because you think about it like this. Did you know that if you're a security officer, you're certified through the state of Texas to, for private security. You can be an armed security officer, level three security, carry a gun at 18, 19, or 20 years old. And you can work as private security. But you can't buy that handgun from a gun store or federal firearms license dealer. You have to get it as a private sale as a gift. That was already like that. So all they had to do was say, look, state of Texas is doing a background check system. The state of Texas is allowing um, uh, 18 and 19 and 20 years old to become security officers and carry a gun. Why can't they also get their LTC? Very simple. My goodness. You got to put all this stuff together. I'm telling you. Amazing. I love it. So now I'm wondering if someone has sponsored a bill at the Texas Capitol to kind of squash all this. You better hurry up because you may be if they do, you may be able to squeeze it in before they change their mind. What do you think? Just shows how inefficient government is. I mean, look at this. You can't buy a firearm at 18, 19, 20 years old. I thought that a court overturned constitutional carry for those individuals, but it still had campus carry. I may be wrong, but I thought that constitutional carry does apply to them thanks to a court decision recently. But now you're saying another court decision is saying that uh, we can actually give them LTCs. I think it was based off the same court decision. Right. So if you here's how that stuff works. So let's say you want to carry constitutionally. Well, then you're going to get stopped by the police. And you don't have your license, okay, issued by the state. You get stopped by the police. You're carrying a handgun. Then they're going to arrest you. They arrest you. You have to get an attorney and take this case to court. And you're going to have to cite this case. So you're going <laughs> to. So so college students, the best thing for you to do is get your LTC and you carry. Go. You will have campus carry. You will be A-OK. Make sure you get your training so you know what to do in these situations. But get your LTC college students, PSA. And that way you don't have to worry about actually getting arrested, you know, by some county or some local law enforcement police department that, you know, doesn't like the fact that you're carrying a gun, thinks you have an attitude problem and decides, you know what, I'll put you in the system anyway. You can get bypassed that. Get your license. Boy, you're going to learn today. But in order to constitutional carry, you have to satisfy the requirements uh, that you also have to satisfy to purchase a gun, right? That is correct. And you can't satisfy those as an 18-year-old. That is correct. So then... This case has got to, It has to go to court. Then you'll get hit, right? It depends on how they bring it up in court. I don't think it'll pass muster as constitutional carry. I don't think it'll pass muster. So I, that's why I think as an LTC you can do it, mm -hmm. but I don't think you do it as, a con, as constitutional carry. I don't think it'll pass muster. That's a good point. We'll see. That's why you're going to have to take the court every single time. Bypass that. Why? Unless you have 20 grand to, you know, to take a court, a case to court every single time, get your LTC. That solves the problem. Well, yeah. I mean, by the t if you get your LTC, by the time you're 21, the, the, the law may be settled, but then you'll be 21. And then it won't matter. Right. So get your LTC, 
Use this loophole to carry, right. protect yourself, protect your loved ones. Because even even in the military right now, let's say you're let's say you're you're a student at University of Texas and you're an ROTC. As ROTC, because you you know you're active ROTC, you can actually get your license to carry handgun at 18, 19, 20 years old ROTC before this case. So if you're in the National Guard, reserves, you're an ROTC, you can get your LTC before this case and carry gun and participate in campus carry. Already. So, yeah, it just makes sense how all this stuff works. You know, it makes sense. Let's talk guns and weed. Man, you know, the federal government, they don't play when it comes to guns and weed. And one of these days, someone's going to have to figure this stuff out and how we're going to how this is going to actually all pan out. Because here's why. When you go into a gun store and you fill out the 4473, there's a, a question on there that says that, are you an unlawful user of or addicted to marijuana or any depressant, stimulant, narcotic drug, or any other controlled substance? And then it says, warning, the use or possession of marijuana remains unlawful under federal law regardless of whether it has been legalized or decriminalized for medicinal or recreational purposes in the state where you reside. What do you think? Well, that'll fail you. <laughs> That'll get you denied. Get you denied? What do you think? Oops. I mean, that's really, really interesting for states such as Arizona, who have constitutional carry, but also have recreational marijuana, right? I mean, that's a really interesting, like, it's a sticky area right there for those type of states. It it It, it gives the federal government an opportunity to come and arrest you because the federal government says that, you know, hey, we don't care if it's legal in your state or not. It still goes against federal law. Right. So that's, I mean, that's, that's, you know, everybody thinks that, okay, because this is, this is one of the reasons why I, I make the argument for decriminalization over recreation, because, uh, you know, you're putting all this on the books and it's going to interfere with gun laws. But I mean, in reality, this, you're talking about people and in many cases, many cases when it comes to cannabis when it comes to firearms who are the people it's really going to affect it's really going to affect veterans who've came back from war who want to have their firearms who fought for the right to carry firearms and utilize these firearms but also may have some form of ptsd or some scars that we can't see and they utilize cannabis to overcome that i know a lot of ems and paramedics that use cannabis because uh, they deal with a lot you know your, your ems your your uh your paramedics your firefighters you know, deal with, you know, rolling up on a scene, uh, really gruesome scene, doing their job, cleaning up that scene, taking care of the people uh, that are injured in that scene. And so they can sleep, you know, at night, they do cannabis to help them sleep. And so this is a common question that I get from these individuals. They say, hey, you know, well, Mike, you know, what if I, I am prescribed cannabis here in Texas? You know, would that affect me from a gun purchase? And the answer is yes, it would, because the gun store, you know, it, it goes by federal law. And so in the gun store, if if the government wants to push the issue, if something happened, then they can come and prosecute you because you got to think who writes the prescription, who write who writes prescriptions, doctors, who controls those prescriptions? You know, who do the doctors go to to get their license from the DEA, Drug Enforcement Agency? OK, that's a federal agency, you know, within our federal government. And guess what? The ATF is, you know, and the Knicks are all tapped into all that same system. 
So if your doctor's writing your prescription that's, you know, by the, the DEA, guess what? They're going to know that you're, you know, you're, you're prescribed, you know, medical marijuana. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. This is Brittany Glaze, and I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill on Come and Talk It. Everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now, here's Michael Cargill. All right, in the next coming weeks, we're going to talk to you about our new sponsor. We have a new sponsor, Specific Office Automation. That's right. We're going to talk to you about cybersecurity solutions for every office. We're going to talk about cameras and everything. We're, we're, uh, we're going to uh, talk about phone solutions for any business. Also, join the, the POA team and grow your career. All kinds of things you can do with Pacific Office Automation. So what we're doing at Central Texas Gunworks, we're installing a new camera system. We're trying to break it down. We're, I, I need to be able to, you know, vehicles that pull into the parking lot, they're scoping out the place. I need to track that information. And, and, and we're doing license plate readers. We're doing facial recognition uh, because we have a lot of issues, a lot of problems um, with people being assaulted or vehicles broken into, you know, in the parking lot, things of that nature. So we're, we're going to bring all this to a complete halt. You know, I can't depend on law enforcement to do their job. So we're going to shut this down and we're going to start controlling things ourselves. So uh, so I strongly advise you do not try to break into any vehicles in our parking lot. Don't even step foot in our parking lot and commit a crime. Because if you do, we're going to bring the full power and hand of the law upon you if you do. Because now gonna get you for that. we're upgrading everything. So you drive into the parking lot, we're going to have your license plate, you step outside that vehicle, even inside your vehicle, we got facial recognition. That's going to remember that you, you, the particular person, was in the parking lot at that particular time. And so you're, you're trying to scope the place out, thinking you're going to rob someone, you're following someone you know, in our parking lot, we're shutting it down. And so thanks to, to the help of Pacific Automation, we're going to reduce crime in that area. And, and, and hopefully get our insurance and, you know, premiums and things of that nature, nature down uh, because crime is actually increasing. You know, uh, violent crime is actually going up uh, in South Austin. Man, do you know someone walked into a, a store in the middle of the day, in the middle of the afternoon and tied something around the ATM machine and snatched it out of a store in the middle of the day? In the is middle of the, the day one where they pulled it out with the toe strap. Yeah. In the middle of the day. Like, yeah, who does that? Like, I mean, what happened? <laughs> I mean, you, if you tell me someone did that at night, I'm like, oh, okay. I'm not surprised by that. You know, I had plenty of time to walk over there and, you know, strap it up at nighttime and yank it out with a vehicle. I'm, that I'm not surprised by. But when you say in the middle of the day, that's insane to me. That criminals are emboldened nowadays. You know, uh, we, we don't have enough. There's not enough either law enforcement. I don't know what's going on. 
But it's Austin just is one of the five safest big cities in the country. <laughs> it's not safe for ATM machines. Definitely not. Safe. Not it's not safe for business owners and uh, employees who are doing money drops, going to the bank, all this fragging or whatever they want to call it. Jugging is that what it is? Jugging. Uh-huh. They want to call it. It's just you know, violent crime is increasing, and so it's it's a result of a lot of things. Uh, Post COVID. Uh, lack of law enforcement, you know, maybe uh, the training, maybe enough law enforcement. There's so much involved in all this stuff. There's no one answer, uh, but it, it's going to get worse because uh, now I, I'm hearing that the Austin Police Department, they don't have a, um, a contract. They're trying to get a four year contract. And if they don't have this thing settled with this contract by spring break, Man, South by Southwest is going to be on. And my recommendation is this. I think the Austin Police Department needs to start playing around. Stop playing games. Go ahead and strike. You should go on strike. You got to show them. If you want a better contract, you want a good four-year contract, then you go on strike. That's what I recommend you do. Go on strike. If I was the APA president, we would go on strike. We would get our contract. And only way you can only way you're gonna get things and make things better if you just go ahead and tear it down. You gotta tear it down, they'll rebuild it and make it better. Go on strike. That's what you do. Strike. I dare you. Strike. Show them. Strike. Stop playing around. Go on strike. Go ahead. Hope everybody buys a gun from you before that happens. <laughs> what do you think? You can visit Central Texas Gunworks and <laughs> That's right. I think they should go on strike. Stop playing around. What do you think? I mean, either way, you definitely need to get your LTC and get your training because, I mean, it doesn't matter if they go on strike. They're not, I mean, like, no offense against police officers, although not crazy about cops. Um, met some good ones here in, here in Austin, know some personally. But uh, but it's already as if we don't have cops. I mean, going on strike, there's probably not much else going to happen, right? And maybe, maybe that's the perfect opportunity for something to happen if people know. But, I mean, if it happens, I mean... You can already do whatever you want in Austin and get away with it as it is. Mm. So make sure that you're protecting yourself, you're protecting your family, you're protecting your community. Go out there, get training, and buy a gun from Michael Corgill here. All right. Now, you check this out. You, you, let's go to Missouri, the state of Missouri. You hear that the fact that Missouri votes against banning children from carrying guns in public? You guys hear about that story? So a Republican-led legislature rejects measure to prevent minors from carrying firearms in public without adult supervision. And I'm going to tell you why, why and, and a lot, some people are making this a big deal, but I get it. I understand. Um, because a lot of, most, most of Missouri, you're talking this rural, you know, rural, I can't even say the word, you know, I have a problem saying rural. It's rural. Thank you. Say it one more time. It's rural. Areas. Say it one more time. Rule areas. There we go. <laughs> so there, you know, uh, Missouri, uh, you know, a lot of uh, they're spread out, and so they have their young people that you know on property, a land. They're trying to you know either it's agricultural, you have ag exemption or stuff like that, you know, or maybe not have an ag exemption, but they have agricultural land and or property, and they don't mind their their young, their teenagers carrying firearms on their property or, you know, going to a friend's house or whatever, you know, apparently they can do that in Missouri. And so they're like, hey, we don't want to, you know, to change the law because just because what's going on in St. Louis and the fact that people in St. Louis can't, you know, 
can't parent their children, but the rest of the state can. We don't want, you know, you guys to ban our children from carrying guns because of what's going on in St. Louis. What do you guys think about that? St. Louis can't tell us what to do. <laughs> More power to the people. <laughs> so the proposal to ban children from carrying guns without adult supervision in public failed by 104 to 39. A Democrat, Donna Beringer, said police in her district asked for the change to stop 14-year-olds walking down the middle of the street in the city of St. Louis carrying AR-15s. Look, let me just say this. Go this ahead. is why I do not have so much love for cops. People wonder, Mike, why don't you like cops? Because cops are the people that don't like guns. Mm. They're the people stopping constitutional carry. They're the people stopping from people actually carrying firearms. And this is this is a perfect example. Of course, the police officers ask their Democrat representative, will you please take the guns? Mm. All right. All right. So now they have they have been emboldened and they are walking around with them, uh, according to uh, Democrat Barringer, until they actually brandish them and brandish them with intent. Uh, their police officers hands are handcuffed, uh, according to what the representative is saying. So in 2017, Missouri lawmakers repealed concealed carry requirements in most situations. The measure was part of an hours long debate on the best way to fight crime, particularly in St. Louis area. The Republican Lane Roberts, a former Joplin, Missouri police chief and state public safety director, initially included the restrictions on children possessing guns in a broader crime bill, which the House voted to give initial approval. Uh, but lawmakers on a House committee that Roberts leads stripped the provisions on guns last week. And every time, according to Roberts, he says, every time we talk about the provisions related to guns, we knew that that was going to be difficult on our side of the aisle. Now, Republicans decried that uh, the efforts as an unneeded infringement on gun rights. And according to Tony Lavasco, a Republican from St. Louis, he says, while it may be an initiative that a 14-year-old has no legitimate purpose, it doesn't actually mean that they are going to harm someone. We don't know that yet. <laughs> now, generally speaking, we, uh, he says, we don't charge people with crimes because we think they're going to hurt someone. You know, there's a movie about that. When you think someone's going to do something. Minority Report. The Minority Report. Yeah, so... And saying you got to wait until they, you know, they're committing the crime, attempting to commit the crime, you know, or something like that. They're committing the crime. And then that's a whole nother story. Other provisions in the measure would allow the governor to appoint a special prosecutor in counties with high crime rates and provisions targeted at the St. Louis Circuit attorney, according to attorney Kim Gardner. So Missouri, they're fighting back. They say, you know what? Nah, we're not going to go back. We're not going to ban, you know, kids from uh, minors from carrying guns in public. And that's it. That's all I got. Get your kids' guns. Huh? Gotta love those legislators out in Missouri, especially Tony Lavasco. <laughs> He's one of them YAL people. Oh, yeah? One of those YAL candidates from back in the day. Nice. Oh, yeah. All right, so this week coming up, um, I do want to, you know, we, we got to get into, you know, supporting these organizations like FRAC uh, because that's a very important lawsuit. So definitely remember them. Uh, this coming week, uh, check them out, and hopefully their lawsuit goes forward. Hopefully we get some lawsuits here in Texas to go forward, and we get an injunction against the federal government so that way, boom, we can slow down a little bit and let this Cargill v. Garland case make it to the Supreme Court so that way we can have some case law saying that the ATF can't write or create law. As always, more guns equals less crime. You go out there and you buy yourself a gun. 
You've been listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t-mobile.com.